There we go. Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. And whether you've been here for many, many years or you're visiting, turn in your Bible to Matthew 13. We're going to be in Matthew 13. We've come to the end of Matthew 12 at, uh, at long last and are jumping into the section of Matthew's gospel uh, that contains the parables. Uh, now, I think all of us love a good story. Maybe you like to read yours. Maybe you like to watch your stories on a screen, but everybody loves a good story. And before things were written down, information was passed along from generation to generation through stories. As stories are entertaining, they're powerful, they capture our imaginations, and at times they move our emotions more than anything else can. And Jesus himself is often considered a great storyteller. He's well known for telling stories called parables. Um, Jesus' parables are scattered throughout the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels too. But in Matthew's Gospel, they're primarily concentrated in Matthew 13. Um, but we must be careful as we, as we approach the parables, we must be careful not to just view them as fables, not just to view them as little stories or illustrations or, or moral lessons. The parables actually teach deep things about the kingdom of God. You may have noticed if you've looked on the slide or in your bulletin that we're not starting in verse 1 of Matthew 13 today. We're not actually jumping into a parable quite yet. And that's because uh, when we look at Jesus' parables, we need to understand the purpose of the parables. Why is Jesus using parables? What is the effect that they're supposed to have? And so this morning, we're going to look at three purposes for Jesus' parables we'll see that they have both a positive and a negative effect. So we'll read our text starting in verse 10. We'll read down to verse 17. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has more or for to the one who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Lord, we come to the sacred scriptures this morning. The words on these pages given to us for our instruction that we might know you, that we might have a clear revelation of who you are, that we might understand ourselves better, that we might have a greater knowledge of your work throughout history, that we would understand what your will is for our lives, and Lord, that we would be transformed by your word. As the psalmist describes, it makes wise the simple, it enlightens the eyes, it restores the soul, it revives the heart, 
It is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. Oh Lord, may we not take your word for granted this morning as we hear from our Lord Jesus. Would you help me to clearly explain and preach and proclaim that which is contained in your word, Lord, in a way that is helpful to your people and glorifying to you. Lord, help us to understand more the purpose of Jesus' parables. We ask this in his name. Amen. Three purposes for the parables in our text this morning. In verses 10 through 12, we see that the parables give. Verses 13 through 15, we see that the parables conceal. And finally, verses 16 and 17 and 34 and 35, we see that the parables bless. The parables bless. Now, we need a little bit of context here, right? Because next week, we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. That's a well-known parable. We'll be looking at that next Sunday. But notice, verses 1 through 9 of Matthew 13 are the actual parable itself, right? Jesus tells the parable. And then, starting in verse 18, Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. We're jumping right into the middle of this, right? Uh, Jesus has told this parable, and his disciples come, as we see in verse 10, and say, Why are you speaking to them, to the crowds, in parables? Again, we see in verse 2, great crowds had gathered around Jesus, and he's been teaching them. So he gives a parable of the sower. The disciples come and say, why are you teaching them in parables? We may be so used to the idea that Jesus teaches in parables that to us, this question seems a little strange, a little unnecessary. Of course, Jesus teaches in parables. It's just what he does. He's Jesus. And parables were not an uncommon thing in Jesus' day. Rabbis would use them frequently when they would teach the people. And generally, what a rabbi would do is they would make a point. They would say, this is a truth. And then they would use a parable to illustrate it. But the one thing that's missing from most of Jesus' parables is the point. Jesus rarely outright comes out and says, Here is a truth. Let me explain it. He does that sometimes, but it's very rare. Jesus' disciples are confused because the parables are just offered by themselves without a stated point, not as an illustration, right? Uh, They're they're just there by themselves. We could even interpret the essence of the disciples' question to be, why do you speak so cryptically to the crowds? Why are you speaking to them in this way? It doesn't make sense to us. And notice, too, of course, in this question, the disciples make a distinction between themselves and the crowds. They say, why are you speaking to them in parables? They separate themselves from the masses as they ask this question, right? And as we'll see in a moment, Jesus makes the same distinction, too. There's a different purpose behind the parables for the disciples of Jesus and the crowds. We might expect Jesus to answer this question with a simple clarification, right? Well, I tell parables because people love stories. It's a way of being an engaging communicator, disciples. Come on. Haven't you read all those great books about effective communication? But, but that's not what he says, right? That's not his answer at all. Jesus answers his disciples in verse 11 by revealing that there is a difference between the crowds and the disciples. He confirms this and he answers them, To you, disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, to the crowds, it has not been given. The disciples have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, and the crowds have not. And on the surface, this may not seem to answer the disciples' question, but as we go on, it'll make more sense. Verse 11 teaches us something about the kingdom of heaven, a few things, in fact. 
First, verse 11 reveals that the kingdom of heaven is a secret. It is mysterious. It is spiritual. And it cannot be comprehended by the natural mind alone. It cannot be received or comprehended by the flesh. Now, multiple times throughout the New Testament, the gospel, uh, the kingdom of God, is referred to as a mystery, as something that was secret, partially revealed perhaps throughout the ages, but something that was only fully revealed in Christ. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 3. He talks about the mystery is that Christ has come to save all kinds of people through his death and resurrection, but this wasn't fully clear before Christ came. But since the kingdom is a spiritual reality, it can only be comprehended by those who are spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.14 states the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, they're foolish to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? A person just left to themselves without any intervention or help from the Spirit of God uh, maybe understands the facts of the, the Bible or the kingdom or the gospel. They may be able to say Christians believe Jesus died for sin, but to them, it's not worth believing. To them, it's not worth accepting. To them, it's foolishness. It's for others. It's not for them. So We see that here, that the kingdom is mysterious, that only the Spirit can give the knowledge and understanding and, and embracing of the kingdom. Second, we learn from verse 11 that not everyone is given the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are, of course. Jesus makes that plain here. The crowds are not. Grammatically, Jesus uses something called a divine passive. He says, to you it has been given. Somebody else has done that act of giving. And of course, that is God. The, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven come not from man, but are given from God. God gives us knowledge. God illuminates the kingdom of heaven, but he has not done it to everyone. The disciples, of course, have been specifically called by Christ. We saw that in Matthew 4. Jesus walks down the shore and calls John and Peter, Andrew, and he calls Matthew out of his tax collector booth, right? He calls them by name. They are effectually called by the Spirit. They've been given this knowledge. That's why they follow Jesus. But the crowds have not received this. And as we look at verse 12, Jesus explains more about how the parables function positively and negatively. He says, To the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What does Jesus mean by this? Charles Spurgeon, I think, gives us a great explanation. Those who had some understanding of spiritual truth would come to yet clearer light, but those who lived willfully in the dark, in the presence of the light, become more and more bewildered. Or Jesus just said in verse 11 that God had given the disciples the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, that God, according to his gracious will, made these things known to them. Right? The disciples are the ones who have, the ones who have been given this knowledge, this understanding, whose eyes have been opened by God's grace. As they hear the parables, they will be increasing in their knowledge of the kingdom, in their understanding of it. And this will continue until they have an abundance, Jesus says. And of course, when we read the writings of the disciples, when we read Peter, when we read John, when we read James, 
we see that they certainly did have an abundance of understanding about the kingdom of God. They kept growing and growing and growing as God gives them more grace and light. The same is true for us. 2 Peter 3.18 describes how believers, how you and I, are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. According to Jesus, this will be what happens to those who are in the kingdom. Their understanding of the kingdom will increase over time. And the parables help accomplish this. The parables help give this understanding. For those who are in the kingdom, who understand the mystery of the kingdom, the parables of Jesus give more information, more understanding about the kingdom. They help us understand it better. Those who are in the kingdom desire to know and understand the parables. They desire to receive from them. But Jesus also mentions those who have not, right? In the context here, this is the crowds. These are those to whom God has not given this grace of understanding, this, this uh, opening of the eyes. He has not given them understanding about the gospel of the kingdom. He has left them in the darkness of their unbelief. The crowds are there, but they don't know, they don't understand, they don't ultimately care about the kingdom of heaven. They're there because they want to hear a good story. And while they may know some information about the kingdom, while they may have picked up a couple uh, nuggets, tidbits from Christ here and there, it's like an arrow bouncing off of a stone wall. It has not penetrated their hearts. They don't really understand it. And, And what they do have, The little information they may have gleaned about the kingdom will ultimately be taken away. It won't remain. It won't do them any ultimate good as long as they remain in that state. They'll drift further and further away from understanding. So to them, the parables do not give. But in a way, they they take. This is a difficult statement from Christ here. He, He teaches that not all people receive the same understanding of the gospel. He teaches that not everybody receives this work of God in illumination, in opening the eyes. The Spirit does not operate upon every human being this way. Not everyone receives this kind of saving grace. And to these, right, the parables do not give more information. They they do not add anything of spiritual value to them. And in fact, For those who are in unbelief, the parables actually have the opposite effect, according to Jesus. The the parables conceal spiritual truth. To those who have uh, been given the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, it gives. But to those who have not, it conceals. It conceals. And that's our our second point. Jesus' parables conceal, as we see in verse 13 and 15. Now, Jesus, um, Jesus is not a people pleaser. He never tells anybody what he thinks they want to hear. And Jesus frequently says things that are difficult. And we know difficult for his audiences then and difficult for us now. Verse 13 is one of those difficult statements that perhaps shock us because they go uh, so far against how we approach ministry or evangelism or what have you. We may be surprised by what Jesus says. And in answer to the disciples' question in verse 10, Jesus tells his disciples clearly and plainly why he speaks in parables. He says, this is why I speak in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. 
one of the basic rules in communication, of course, is knowing your audience, communicating them uh, to them in the best way possible, right? That they can hear and understand. If I got up here and started speaking in Czechoslovakian, that would not be helpful for you, would it? You would not get anything from that. I would not be getting my message across to you. Generally, people want to communicate in the most effective way possible. And even in Jesus' day, that's why rabbis would use parables to illustrate a point, right? Uh, but it seems that Jesus is telling parables for a completely different reason. And in a way, he flips this rule of communication around on its head. He says, I speak to them in parables because they don't get it. I speak to them in parables because they can't comprehend them. Right? Consider the spiritual state of the crowds that Jesus describes here. Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, they don't understand. What does Jesus mean here? They've, they've literally seen Jesus with their own two eyes. And yet they're blind as a bat to who he is. They've heard his teaching with their ears, and yet it has gone in one ear and out the other. They do not understand. They do not understand. Physically, they perceive him. But spiritually, they are like dead stones. They're like dead stones. And yet Jesus tells his disciples that he's purposefully chosen a way of communicating spiritual truth that they cannot comprehend or receive. He's purposefully chosen a way of speaking to them that conceals the truth about the kingdom from them. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus do this? Doesn't he want everybody to understand about the kingdom and come to him? Right? That's what we would think. That's what we would want, right? We would want everybody to come know Jesus. But Jesus seems to have a different priority. He explains further in 14 and 15, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Um, it's important we understand the context of Isaiah chapter 6, so let's turn there for a moment. Isaiah chapter 6, understand what exactly Jesus is referring to here. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, of course, is the well-known chapter that begins with Isaiah beholding the glory of God in his heavenly throne room where God is described as holy, holy, holy. This is the chapter where God asks, who shall we send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. It's Isaiah's commission from the Lord in verse 8 and 9. Isaiah volunteers to go as God's messenger to the people of Judah who are described in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4 as a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They've forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. These are the people that Isaiah was sent to, not a wholly obedient people to tell them all kinds of good news. He was sent to a people under the judgment of God who had turned away from him. And so when we read Isaiah chapter 6, 9, and 10, we see this. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. We see something rather shocking there. We know Isaiah speaks promises of God's redemption and salvation throughout his prophetic ministry, of course. But we cannot ignore that the primary message Isaiah brought was one of judgment. And not just that, but that God tells him to speak to the people in such a way that they will not turn back to the Lord. 
right? Make the heart of this people dull, lest they turn and be healed. That may rub against our understanding of God. But we cannot deny it from the text. What is Isaiah doing? He is going to ensure that God's purposes of judgment are carried out. And we turn back to Matthew 14, and we see Matthew telling us here, as he quotes Jesus, right, we see Jesus saying, this prophecy from Isaiah 6 is fulfilled here. Now, this isn't a futuristic prophecy. That's not what Jesus means. But he's saying this is the exact same kind of situation. This is the exact same condition of this generation in Israel. They would hear and not understand. Right? They would see God do great things through Christ and not perceive the significance of them. This is the same spiritual condition of Jesus' generation. They saw him, they heard him, but did not, could not, would not realize the realities of who he was. How could this be? This is how seriously sin affects human beings. Right? We, we think, well, if Jesus was right there in front of me, then I would have no issues or no doubts or, or what have you, right? But they had him right there. And yet this is how they're described. Sin's effect is detrimental. And the people in Isaiah's day, the people in Jesus' day, their heart had become dull, lifeless, dead, due to their consistent and persistent sin. Their ears had ceased working as they should. Their eyes were closed to the truth. This is a picture of spiritual inability and refusal. It's a picture of a people who have no true desire to know God and return to Him. It's a picture of people who pay no heed to the Word of God. A picture of people who refuse to see and acknowledge the reality of God and His works. It is a picture of people who have sinned themselves further and further and further into desensitization and complacency in their rebellion. It's a picture of people like you and me before God graciously gave us a new heart, new ears, new eyes. And we look in verse 15 here and we, we know God sent Isaiah to prophesy in such a way that Israel's condemnation would be sealed. And Jesus says, I tell parables for the same reason. That's what he's saying. That's why he's quoting Isaiah here. He's saying, I tell parables for the same reason. God had determined through the prophetic ministry of Isaiah to confirm the people in their wicked unbelief. He had determined to let them remain in that state of rebellion against him. He didn't make them like that, right? God did not make their hearts in that place. God did not cause them to rebel like that. But he essentially says, well, if, if that is what you are going to pursue and love, then my prophet will prophesy, you will reject him, and you will not turn back to me. And my judgment will come upon you. This is sobering, heavy stuff. We see Jesus quoting Isaiah to demonstrate he tells parables to a similarly spiritual people. He speaks to them in a way that doesn't help them understand more. But he speaks to them in a way that confirms their unbelief, that confirms their deadness and dullness, that reveals they have no interest in seeking the kingdom. There's an aspect to the parables of judgment. Where Jesus tells these parables, the people hear of the kingdom, and yet they reject it, bringing judgment upon themselves. He tells them parables 
to conceal the truths of the kingdom from them. And again, this may challenge your understanding of Christ. We, we think of Christ sometimes as, as a peaceful, loving, you know, and I think to be honest that the, the film portrayals of Christ have done him a great disservice because he's often portrayed as a peace-loving, hippie kind of guy who's got that far-off look in his eyes, you know. And, and no doubt Jesus was ferociously loving and came to bring peace. But read the words Jesus is saying here. Jesus also comes as a prophet of judgment upon Israel. And this may challenge your understanding of God, that he would purposefully leave people in unbelief, that he might display his justice in judging them. Now, God has a righteous right to display his justice as he pleases. It is not unjust for him to do so. And we struggle when we bring God down here and treat him like a man instead of the holy transcendent God whose ways are above ours and whose thoughts are above ours. And even though these things are hard, we must wrestle with them because God has put them in his word. God does not create unbelievers, but he does choose to leave some in their unbelief that his justice might be displayed. And so Jesus tells parables in part to keep the secrets of the kingdom hidden from the crowds. But we also need to understand uh, that they don't want to understand these things either. If they did, they would be part of his disciples. Right? It's, not, it's not that the crowds are begging him, Jesus, please tell us more about the kingdom. No, don't walk away. We want to know more. That's not what's happening here, right? They're just showing up to hear a good story. It's you know, enough for them to just hear a good tale about a sower or a mustard seed or a hidden treasure. But they have no interest in discerning who Christ is. They have no interest in repenting of their sin and believing in him as the Messiah and Savior of the world. And so Jesus speaks to them in such a way that they won't understand or, or see the things that they don't truly care about anyway. And so the question for, for you and me as we go through the parables over the next few months is, um, are we just treating the parables like nice stories, completely missing the deep spiritual truths that are in them, Right? Or are we reading these saying, I want to know more about the kingdom. I want to know more about the kingdom of heaven. What is it like? What does it mean for me to be in that kingdom? Be praying as we go through the parables that God would give you more and more understanding of the kingdom, that you would have an abundance. Because while the parables conceal the kingdom from those under God's judgment, they bless those that have received his grace. That's our last point. Jesus' parables bless. They are a blessing. We look at uh, verse 16. In contrast to the people of Jesus' day, the, the, the evil and unbelieving generation that we saw a few weeks ago, who were far from God and confused by the parables, the disciples are described very differently. What does Jesus say about them? They are blessed. They are blessed. Why? Because their eyes are not blind. Their ears are not deaf. Their hearts are not dull. They are blessed because they see, they hear, they understand. In other words, the disciples to whom God is given to know the secrets of the kingdom don't just see and hear with their eyes and ears, but they're actually perceiving the nature of the kingdom and its king. 
Now, of course, we know they have a lot to learn, right? They have a lot to learn about Jesus, and Jesus has a lot to teach them. But they are in a very different spiritual category than their countrymen. They're not under the judgment of God, but they are blessed. They have been blessed. And our discipleship to Christ, our understanding of who He is, our faith in Him cannot be understood any other way than a blessing. You didn't just wander down a path and, oh, look at this wonderful thing, right? Uh, what a coincidence. You know, I'm a Christian now. You know, that's not, that's not how things work. You didn't wake up one morning, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, you know what? I'm hiking into the kingdom of heaven. That's not how it works. Why did the disciples believe in Jesus while the crowds didn't? Was it because they um, made a better choice, right? Was it because they had an advantage to the crowds, right? Maybe they were born in a good home where they heard more about the Old Testament law. Was it because they made better use of their free will? Was it because they were spiritually in a better starting place? No. It was only because of God's grace. They were blessed. A blessing had come upon them from outside of them. It was God who made them to know the secrets of the kingdom while concealing it from the crowds. It was God who gave them a new heart and mind to believe in Christ. It was God who blessed them by His grace. Why do you believe in Jesus while others don't? You can look in the same family. where siblings perhaps, right? or, or uh, cousins, or whatever, right? Friends growing up in church, all hearing the same information. And yet one continues to walk with Christ until their dying day, and the other rejects the faith when they go off to college or have a midlife crisis. Why does that happen when every other factor seems to be the same? It's not because you made a better choice. It's not because you were born with less sin. It's not because uh, you had a better path growing up? It's the same answer as the disciples. It is because of God's grace, a blessing that has come upon you from outside of you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it is because God gave you a new heart and a new will so that instead of rebelling against Christ and ignoring Him, instead of uh, loving the darkness and running away from the light, you would come to Him in faith and repentance freely to be sure, but only because of God's grace. And because of this, all glory goes to God. He blesses us. We don't bless ourselves. The disciples didn't bless themselves. God did. And as a result, the parables themselves are a blessing to the disciples. They help the disciples. They help us grow in our understanding of the kingdom of heaven. Right? They help us know more and more and more about what Jesus came to do and about what he's doing now and about what he's going to do when he returns. The parables are a blessing in this way. But beyond this, the parables themselves bless because of what they signify. Look at what Jesus says in verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And Jesus says this with emphasis, truly I say to you, Get the reality of this, disciples. Understand how incredible this is, how blessed you are, because you get to see things that so many before you did not. Those righteous saints and prophets in the Old Testament, they were not able to see and hear the Messiah. They weren't able to see and hear the things the disciples get to see and hear because they lived and died before he came. 
And while they didn't have the full mystery of Christ revealed to them, they certainly had enough of it to believe it. They clearly had a sense of the things God spoke through them. 1 Peter 1.10 speaks of this. Concerning this salvation, Peter writes, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. But he goes on. It was revealed to them, to those Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The prophets, the saints of the Old Testament, they were looking forward to this. They said, God is going to do something amazing. We don't know when. We don't even know fully how. But we know He's going to do these wonderful things. He's given us these wonderful promises. And yet, those prophets and saints, all of whom were justified by faith in what God had revealed to them, did not actually live to see those things happen on earth. Hebrews 11, uh, 13 uh, says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Right? What a picture that is. I see Him coming over the hill. Hey. And having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they looked forward to those things that the disciples are so blessed to see and hear. They're not blind to the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises in Christ. They get to actually see the fulfillment of those things now. They get to see the offspring of Eve, the serpent crusher. They get to see the offspring of Abraham who blesses the nations. They get to see the final prophet Moses spoke of, the the greater son of David, the great king. They are blessed to actually be there and blessed to have had their eyes opened and they are blessed to hear the parables. And not only did the parables bless them in revealing more about the kingdom, but they get to see the fulfillment of prophecy through Jesus' parables. Look down to 34 and 35. I'm kind of tagging this on to this sermon because it applies and tells us about the purpose of the parables. 34 and 35 of Matthew 13. And this is in the middle of Jesus' teaching of parables, but... We read this, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Matthew tells us here that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy by teaching in parables. That's what he's telling us here. He's fulfilling prophecy by teaching in parables. Now, Matthew, of course, doesn't mean Jesus didn't say anything ever in his ministry without a parable, but at this point, as he's teaching these crowds here, he's only using parables to teach them. And Indeed, of course, we will see over the coming weeks that Jesus' parables were probably difficult for the crowds to understand because they had such a wrong idea of the kingdom. One commentator notes that the crowds could easily understand plain teaching on the kingdom in a political sense, Right? This is what the kingdom is going to look like on, on earth. But that's not what the kingdom is, of course. And so parables made this much more difficult. And Jesus' use of parables is the fulfillment of prophecies. We read in 35. And Matthew quotes from Psalm 78 too here, a psalm written by Asaph. Psalm 78 begins with Asaph describing how he uh, will describe the story, how he's going to dis- declare the mighty works of God 
the parable, the story of God's redemption and dealing with the people of Israel. If we had more time, we'd read through it. And then for 70, 72 verses, he does. He describes, here's what God did, here's what the people did, but here's what God did, and then here's what the people did, and here's what God did, right? That's what he does for that whole entire psalm. And at the beginning, of course, Asaph says, I will speak in parables and declare these mysteries, these wonderful things God has done. But again, this is not a futuristic prophecy either, just like Isaiah was not. Asaph's not saying there's going to come one who speaks in parables. That's not why Matthew sees fulfillment here. Jesus fulfills Psalm 78 too, typologically. Typologically. Here's what that means. Asaph speaks to the people of God about God's mighty works. That's what Psalm 78 is all about. And Asaph foreshadows Christ and what Christ is going to do, who through his parables, through Jesus' parables, Christ blesses those who are seeking the kingdom by declaring the working out of God's plan of salvation through the kingdom of heaven. Asaph is saying, let me tell you what God has done for our people. Let me tell you about his mighty works. Let me tell you about his salvation, his redemption with this story. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, let me tell you about what God is doing now in the kingdom of heaven with these stories, with these parables. Asaph is foreshadowing how Christ would declare the mysteries of the kingdom of God to the people. And they are, as we read in 35, they are revealing hidden truths that were unknown in their fullness prior to Christ. Jesus is making things known that were hidden from the foundation of the world. He is making clear things about the kingdom of God that we don't find in the Old Testament. Or really what we should say is that we only know how to look for in the Old Testament in light of Christ. One commentator says that these truths of the parables were in God's mind and plan at the time of the very birth of creation and of the kingdom, but were kept hidden until they were now uttered aloud by Jesus. And even then, they're still hidden from the unworthy, but are seen and received by the disciples. So the disciples are blessed because they get to see the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in the person and ministry and parables of Christ. They get to witness so much, and unlike the crowds, they are actually perceiving the significance of it. And so in this way, the parables which reveal the identity of Jesus as the one who fulfills the Old Testament, blesses those disciples that God has made known the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And so, over the next few months, as we go through these parables one by one, we will get to hear and consider the very, the very parables, the very stories Jesus taught to his disciples and to the crowds. Because interestingly, most of the parables here are directed primarily at the disciples. The crowds maybe are overhearing them, but they are directed primarily to the disciples. And as we hear Jesus' parables, we must understand, again, these are not interesting stories. They're not fables. They're illustrations of the kingdom of heaven. They are simple and earthy, and Jesus uses language that common people can relate to. And yet through that reveals truth that is so profound 
that we continue to preach them 2,000 years later and we continue to learn from them 2,000 years later. We continue to grow in our understanding of the kingdom 2,000 years later. So by God's grace, as we approach the parables, may we too be like the disciples, growing in our understanding of the nature of the kingdom until we have an abundance, blessed by what the parables reveal to us about the very kingdom of Christ. And we'll get to jump into the parable of the sower next week. Let's pray. Our Lord and, you, and our God, you are mysterious. And Lord, you do things in, in ways that so differ from how we would. And yet you are the God of all wisdom. And Lord, we look forward to learning from Jesus about the kingdom of God through the parables. Would you give us that understanding? Lord, I pray that for each one here that the parables would not conceal the truth of the kingdom from them, but that you would use those things to grow our knowledge and understanding of the kingdom. That we would have a desire to know more about the kingdom of God. And not impersonally, but rather desiring to know more about it in the context of our personal relationship to it and to you. So Lord, we pray in advance, open our eyes to the truth of the parables. Bless us, give us more understanding. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us the parables on the pages of sacred scripture, inspired for us that we may learn from Christ himself. And we give you praise for the parables. In Jesus' name, amen.